tonight. I, I try not to have too many if I don't need to, but uh, just a few little things. A few things we'll put up on the screen here. Revelation chapter 1, we'll read the first eight verses of Revelation. It's our introduction to the book. What I'm going to do is introduce the introduction, and then we'll get into the introduction. All right? John wrote the introduction, and I'll have an introduction to John's introduction. Okay. All right. Revelation chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 8. says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Uh, the story has been told of um, some guys at a seminary. A seminary is like a, a Bible college for after you've done a four-year degree, postgraduate. And some guys at a seminary playing, doing a little recreational a time playing basketball in a gym. And they're playing basketball in a gym. And uh, the guys are playing and they notice the janitor kind of waiting for these, waiting for them to, to finish playing so the janitor can come in and clean up the gym. And they notice the janitor was sitting over there reading his Bible. And, and one of them goes over there to him and he says, um, he says, uh, so what are you reading? And he says, I'm reading Revelation. He's like, do you understand it? He goes, yeah, I understand it. You know, some some people don't quite understand Revelation, and it's because sometimes we just take a few glance at it, or we just read through it one time, and we're like, "Ugh, what's that?" You know, show me some pictures. You know, is there a comic book on this? You know, and we just kind of blow it off. You know, um, I, what I'd like to do is we're going to do an introduction to the Book of Revelation. What I'd like to do is like a flyover, just real quick, a flyover of the book, and then a flyover a little closer, and then we'll get our boots on the ground and get the first eight verses, okay? So, and the big picture of this book right here, the revelation, the revealing, 
This is a, it is a book. It's a piece of literature. It's a divine piece of literature. And the way it's laid out in, in the big picture, what you have is what we read is, a, is an introduction. This is very simple stuff. And a conclusion at the end. And in between, there's three major sections. The first section is very small. The next section is a little bigger. The third section is huge. You have the introduction, you have the conclusion. The first section is in chapter 1. It talks. It just shows a vision of Jesus. And, and John was told to write this vision of what he saw of Jesus Christ. Remember when, remember when we were in Matthew and saw the transfiguration? It's something similar. But even more glory, even more glory being revealed. So the first section is a vision of Jesus Christ. The second section is chapters 2 and 3. And that is the churches. God is writing to seven churches. Um, letters to these seven churches that are in Asia. It's not that there's no other churches around, but he's writing to seven particular churches, and we're going to say a little bit more about that hopefully later. And then from chapter 4 through chapter 22, most of chapter 22, from chapter 4 to chapter 22, it is all future. So you have introduction, you have a vision, you have church stuff, and then from chapter 4, so chapter 22, it's future stuff. Okay, that's to make it real plain. And then there's a conclusion. That's it. You know, you got an introduction, conclusion, and three big points. But it's more than that. If we come a little, so that's kind of the big view of this book that's in your lap. But in particular, if we fly a little bit lower, but still up in the air and, and examine the landscape of this book of, of Revelation, it's intricate. And it's amazing. And, it's un, and there's some things we haven't seen. Some things you're seeing that were in, in the Bible that are opened up a little more. You see, as we mentioned, the, the introduction. There's a vision of Jesus Christ, an incredible vision of what, he, what He's like in His glory. And then these churches that we mentioned, chapter 2 and 3, there's a personality types in each of these churches. And then chapter 4, we see a vision, you see a, a scene in heaven. And... Um, and you begin, there's these seven, I'm not going to get into all the details, but I'm going to give you again an overview. From chapter 4 on, you see the seven-year tribulation begin. And you have these seven um, seals that are broken. And Jesus uh, opens these seven seals. And the first four are called the four horsemen. Some people talk about the four horsemen of Revelation. And they're types of judgments that happen on the earth. Now what happens is they're very severe, but the severity turns up as you get, as you progress in the book. So you have these seven seals, a few of them, I'm not going to get into all of them, are war and famine. Then you have, uh, there's a, a few breaks in between some of these judgments during this tribulation time that's yet future. Then you have 144,000 people that are unique people being, it's called sealed, God uniquely collect 144,000, not just anybody. He wasn't looking for Jehovah's Witnesses. They are actually, and they're not just from, they're specifically from Israel, and they're from every, literally every tribe in Israel. Somehow they're re-identified, every tribe in Israel. 144,000, there's 12,000 from each tribe. It names the tribes. And they're not just anybody not just any Israelites, they're men. And not just any men, they're virgin men. 144,000 virgin men picked by God who believe the gospel. And they're used as a voice box of the gospel. 
And pretty soon you see after that, you see people saved and killed and showing up in heaven under the altar saying, God, how long are you going to let this go on, on the earth here? You're going to avenge our blood. And you see a harvest of souls saved even during a seven-year tribulation time. You also see another kind of harvest, harvest of grapes. That's a negative kind of a harvest. That's a harvest of God crushing the ungodly. Crushing grapes is like crushing blood. There's a 200-mile uh, uh, bloodbath that takes place. But you have these seven seals. You have the 144,000. You have the seven trumpets. There's another set of sevens of these judgments. Seven trumpets that are where you have, just as an example, I'm not going to be able to recall all of them. One-third of the sun is smitten. One-third of the stars is smitten. One-third of the uh, moon is smitten so that you don't have a full day. You don't have a full night. You can't count on the sun. You can't, or can't count on the sun for its normal cycle. You can't count on the moon. The stars are thrown up. People still use stars to navigate. Um, you have a, a, you know, a burning mountain that comes out of the sky and lands in the, in the sea, and one-third of the, of the sea is smitten or turned to blood. It's happening in these chapters 4 to 22 among the seven trumpet judgments as an example. And then you have an interval and we meet something, you, you, the, the great dragon, Satan, and, and the beast who's the Antichrist. And, and some of these images, they're real people, but there's a, uh, a character picture that John is giving us so that the character picture can be understood way back 2,000 years ago as well as today. And he's, this future Antichrist is called the beast. He comes out of the sea, and he's, and he's uh, mesmerizing. And he has a cohort, the false prophet, who's his promo guy. And then you have Satan. So you have the satanic trinity. And then you see the mark of the beast, and you see this harlot. Who's this harlot? We'll get into that later, later next year, actually. Um, and then, so you have the seven seals that are, uh, unleash the 144,000, the seven trumpets that are sounded and it initiates judgments coming down from God to the earth. And then you have seven bowls. There's the last ones, these vials, I should say, uh, judgments where more severe things happen. Well, how about the whole sea turning to blood and all fresh water going bad? That happens towards the end of the tribulation time. By the way, it's interesting when I read that passage of fight. I mean, God is, by the way, let's just back up. God's just not playing around with humanity here. Um, he's, he is, he's, he's dishing out judgments and waiting for repentance. That's what's happening. He's dishing out more and turning up the heat, dishing out more, waiting for repentance. And people are. And some people, instead of repenting, they know he's doing it and they blaspheme him. They know. They even call out the lamb. They blaspheme him. Instead of repenting, the sun scorches people. Locusts, these demonic, what appear to be demonic locusts, are unlocked out of the earth and they're going around the earth and they're stinging people. And people want to die and they can't for five minutes. Can you imagine that? I want to commit suicide. No, I can't. I mean, that's from a horror movie, it sounds like, you know. But this is, a, this is true. And, and so I'm just quick, some pictures here. And so you have these severe judgments taking place through this seven year tribulation time. You have the revealing of the Antichrist. And I'm not going to nail down all the, the chronology within the seven years. You have this whore 
that shows up. It's a organization. It appears to be some kind of world religion. We'll look into that. We'll probe into that. You have what appears to be a one-world church, a one-world one world, uh, government, one-world economic system. That ends up collapsing towards the end of the seven-year tribulation time. And you have the world finally amassing itself around the, around the leadership of the beast and the, 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 the Antichrist and the false prophet, who's the, the world leader at the time. The Antichrist is. He's also called the beast. They co coalesce around him. And they basically are going to fight Jesus Christ. He comes back on a white horse. And he confronts the beast and he throws him in the bottomless pit. You see, again, I'm trying to not give too many details. You could read them. <laughs> it's not like you have to wait for the next episode. You got the, you got the whole script there. Um, but after that, we come back with him. Well, we're coming back with him at that moment. We come back with him. And we are, we're on the earth, we live, reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. A thousand years we reign. You know, sometimes, I, I, you know, sometimes you forget about that. Wait a minute. There is more that's going to happen on this earth. I mean, when somebody says, the world's going to end, not for at least a thousand seven years. I mean, not for at least a thousand seven years is this actual world going to end. That's going to seem like it's going to end during the tribulation time because of the severity of what happens. But anyways, we come back, we rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it doesn't give a, a, doesn't spend a lot of verses on that. Then it talks about the great right throne judgment. And then I love chapter 22, a new heaven and a new earth. Chapter 21 and chapter 22, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, which I think what it means is renovating the existing one, in my understanding of it. And there's kind of like we're left on edge there. There's a conclusion to the book. There's more I'd like to say, but that's just kind of like a flyover. Oh, you get to see kind of the landscape. Now let's get down on the ground and see what in the world's going on here. So let's get our boots on the ground in the book here, chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation. Go to the next slide. The revelation, the word itself means, is, uh, there it goes, apocalypsis. Apocalypse. Revelation is the word apocalypse. The word apocalypse doesn't mean disaster. That's not what it means. Sometimes we say, man, something's so messy and disastrous. It's apocalypse. Well, we say that because we're trying to describe something that's bad, but the actual word means unveiling. Apocalypse. It literally means to disclose, to something that's covered, to uncover it and let everybody see it. So this book is a revealing. And so, John, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get, we're going to look in seven uh, matters that, you can go to the next slide, seven matters, this is, this is the points here, and we'll be done, that John deals with in his introduction, because this is the introduction, he's warming us up. You know, it's good to, you go play a sport, you kind of need to warm up and get into it. When you read a book, it's nice to have a little introduction, even if it's just a few paragraphs or even a paragraph to get you to get your mind uh, prepared for it. Well, we have a divinely laid out introduction in eight verses, and it has a little bit of variety to it. The first thing we see is the purpose of the book. Right in your Bible there, verse 1, the purpose of the book. The revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. So the purpose of revelation is to be revelation. To show. The purpose of it is to show the things that must shortly come to pass. It is to show us things 
that we would not have otherwise known had it not that God revealed this to us. He gave a revelation to His Son. His Son gave it to this angel. This angel gives it to John, and John gives it to all the servants that are going to listen and to be testified in the churches. Revealing. It's a reveal party. Has anybody been to a reveal party? Gender reveal party. There's only been two genders, right? Revealing at that. Okay. All right, so we have a we have a reveal a reveal party that it wasn't really a party, but Michael and Estrella are having their second, and we found out it's a boy. We're gonna have a little Henry grandson dude. So I was pretty excited about that. They came over and they 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 showed me that here you know here's the ultrasound pictures, and quite frankly, I still can't. We've had nine kids. You show me an ultrasound picture, I'm like. It all looks like mush to me, you know. Say it's a boy. I'm like, okay, I believe you. Is that what the doctor said? Okay, then, you know. I have a hard time reading it. But they said, see, it's a boy. They revealed that it's a boy. So Michael and Estrella, in their reveal, um, show us what happened. So dad's got a great-grandson coming here, my dad and mom. So that's neat. So a reveal, a gender reveal means there's two things. You're disclosing something that was hidden, and it's going to come to pass soon. Right? Pretty soon here, we'll see, we're, so for us, uh, four more months, I think, five more months for Australia, and we'll have, Lord willing, a boy in February. Now, that's what the book of Revelation is, and I know it's a silly illustration, but John says the revealing of Jesus Christ. He has something, he has a, he has a matter that he wants to disclose that's veiled. You wouldn't have known this. It's veiled, but he's going to disclose this and it's going to come to pass soon. Look what it says there, which must shortly come to pass. What that means is shortly come to pass uh, means that it's not that, it's not that, well, it's tomorrow. It is imminent, but it means that it's the next thing on God's timetable. This is the thing. Uh, nothing has to happen for Jesus to come back. People, well, you first you got to have, no, nothing has to happen. You can't, well, we have to see the Antichrist. Nope, nope, nope. Well, we have to have this war. We have to have, the, no, nothing. This is going to come to pass shortly. It's, it's, it's pending. The word which must shortly come to pass, the phrase and the description there is talking about um, something that's right at the door. So we have the purpose. By the way, we know nothing. We would know nothing unless God reveals or unless God discloses truth to us. The Lord, Proverbs 2, 1, 2, Proverbs 2, verse 6 says, The Lord giveth wisdom. We're all dummies. Even the lost person who has finds some kind of, you know, um, he invents something. God gave him that. Otherwise, we're all dummies. How much more with divine revelation? God has given us... I love this. I love this. And Jesus did this with his disciples. Sometimes Jesus would have his disciples and he'd say, guys, come here, I want to show you something. And then there was even a few times where Jesus says, you know, prophets would have loved to have seen what, what I'm showing you. Would have loved to hurt, hear what I'm telling you in these mystery kingdom parables. God's letting us in on his plans. That's the purpose of the book, so that he could... Re He's revealing to us his plans. Now, that point right there is worth thinking about the rest of the night. Where is this? Look at this. 
where is this whole deal going? We're in America. We're on the planet Earth, 2,000, whatever this is, 20. Where is all this going? We know. Don't forget that. We know where this is going. Now, we don't know how soon he'll come back, but, you know, whatever. When this, we know the, the long haul where this is all going. Some of you are saying, uh, I don't think I really do. Start reading in here. Get ahead. Read in the scriptures. The first three chapters will be more about churches. But after that, you'll start seeing some interesting things. So the purpose, the next thing is we, see, we meet the revelator. Notice here in verse 1, it says at the end of the verse, he sent and signified it by his angel uh, unto his servant John. So John is a human author. He's the revelator. Now, the word revelator, we say John the revelator. Revelator does not mean John had anything of himself. A revelator is, is a conduit. Somebody has a message. Somebody has some revelation, and the revelator steps in and goes like this. He has nothing creative of himself. That's, that's the me. I used because I used to look, I looked up the word. I thought, revelator, that makes it sound like John's kind of creating this. But the actual definition of the word revelator means you're just passing along revealed truth that you have come to have. I like this. Look, look at something about John here. John's a revelator. He, he, um, verse 2 it says about John, what does it say? Who bear record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now think about these words. He bear, watch, you know what the Bible says about lying? It doesn't say thou shalt not lie. It says thou shalt not bear false witness. That's one of the ten, big ten. So a witness is somebody who sees something. You see it, you hear it, or you know it. You're a witness. You've received truth of information, and you bear it to somebody. And God says, don't you receive or hear or know something and bear something false to somebody else. Don't do that. But John bear record, so he, he was a witness, to, and he bear the record to us. And he bore, he bore the record of the gospel previous to this book. He bear record. John is a faithful revelator. That's what we ought to be. He bear record, the Bible says, of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 2. And of all things that he saw. I'm quite frankly, when I read the book of Revelation, I'm like, man, I don't want to tell anybody about that. I don't want to tell people about a lake of fire. I just don't like that. I don't like these locusts. He says he bear record of all things that he saw. He's a faithful revelator. We are to be revelators in a sense for the Lord. I, you know, when I, was, I remember when I was in high school, actually it was ninth grade, I remember struggling with this. Quite frankly, all through my school I struggled with this thought. You know, you have the creative writing assignments, you know, the teachers give the creative, now let's write a, you know, and they want you to write a, they want you to make up a story about something. Man, I was not good at making up stories. It's not because, you know, I never lied, I, you know, could lie, but I just like, I don't know how to make up a story. I usually borrow somebody else's. But if somebody asked me to tell my story, tell me something, that tell them something that happened to me, okay, I can do that. I can tell you exactly what I saw and heard. And that's about all I could do. I had a hard time fabricating something cool, you know. I couldn't do that. I wasn't that creative. Now, some of you might have that gift. Um, if you do, use it for good. But John is that. He didn't, he's not the creative writer. He's the witness. He says it as is, and that's how we should be for the Lord with the truth that we have in our lap. Just say it as is. So John the Revelator here, number three, we see a blessing. We see a blessing in verse three. This is great, and we'll see why it's a blessing. Let's read it, verse, verse three. Blessed is he, fortunate. 
Oh, how wonderful it is for him that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are therein for the time is at hand. So again, it's talking about taking it all in and retaining it in your mind and practicing it. All right? Blessed is he. You're fortunate if you're, if you're reading it. It's a, you know, just read it. So get at least one third of the blessing right now and start reading it. And then the other third of the blessing is, is, is um, hearing the words of this prophecy. It's good to read the Bible out loud to you. How much more the book of Revelation or, 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 or when, you, when we do it on these Sunday nights or you can easily get an audio book online or sermon audio is an app you can get. You can hear somebody read the book of Revelation to you in a decent voice. You're blessed on hearing it read, the words of this prophecy. And then that third part is keeping, retaining those things that are written. Now the way you can retain is retain, there's only things we just got to remember this. We got to keep this in mind. There's other things we retain in the sense of, I'm going to practice what God tells me, especially when we get to these seven churches, because he's directing the churches in action and attitude. So there's a blessing into this book. It's embedded. You have somebody ever, you know, people embed something. It's got an embedded chip. It's got an embedded this or embedded that, you know. There's an embedded blessing in here. Let me give you some reasons why it's a blessing. This book, it's a blessing because it's relevant. You know, some people, there's a kind of a catchword in a lot of the contemporary churches nowadays. Relevant, real, relevant, irrelevant. Uh, you, know, we, you know, as a church, we want to be relevant. We certainly don't want to be irrelevant, you know. We want to be relevant. The Bible is always relevant. We have to speak it in a way where we're speaking to, to this day and age. But listen, look what it says. Why is it a blessing? It tells you the time is at hand. This book is a, you're blessed by hearing, reading, and keeping those things because it's pending everything that's going to happen. It's pending. Time is at hand. It's not like, how many of you ever read a, maybe you didn't, it's going to be older people like me. Remember the Y2K warnings? Y2K books? Remember the, anybody ever read? I'm not going to, we're not going to make fun of you. I never, Y2K book? You read a Y2K book? Okay. Good. Some of the kids are like, Y2K what? See, real quick. We thought the world was going to end. It was 1999, and it turned 2000 on January 1st, 2000. We thought the world was going to end because the aldometers just couldn't do that on cars and planes and chips. And I don't know all that. They thought, the computers don't know what to do. They can't count past 1099. And we thought the world was going to end when it turned to year 2000. And people thought, you know, and, and that's why some people wrote, good thing they sold those books, you know, ahead of time. But now you'd find those books, I mean, those books, you saw them in the few years after two th year 2000, some in Goodwill, and nobody bought them. I mean, just burn them. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. The time's not at hand. It's behind us. This is relevant. The time is at hand. I mean, how many of us used to go to Montgomery Wards? Again, the kids are like, wow, Montgomery Wards, are you? that's like ancient now. You know, anybody keep a Montgomery Ward catalog around the house? I mean, no, it's irrelevant. It's way, it's not just past, it's way past, like 20 years past, Pastor. Um, that's irrelevant. But the Bible, right here, this book is it's a blessing for us to read it, to study it, to be going through it tonight on, uh, on Sunday nights because it, this, is, it, this is pending. This is pending. What's happening here? All right, so it's, there's a blessing because quickly, it's because it's relevant. There's a blessing because it relates to the church age. I love chapters 2, 3, 2 and 3. 
And by the way, just a heads up, we might not get to chapter 4, which is the future stuff, the juicy, cool stuff. We might not even get to chapter 4 till December. Because chapters 2 and 3, we're going to deal with seven churches one at a time. But it deals with, there's a, this is a blessing, we'll bless because it's, it deals with things of the church age. What I mean is, um, there's churches that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, singles out in the, in the first few chapters of this book. I'm not going to get them all right, but Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, uh, Pergamos, and um, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And he singles these churches out, and he writes them a mini epistle to each one. And they're all a little different. And they all have, except one, or maybe two, have a fault. And he ends it with, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. In other words, he's saying, this is, watch what I'm saying to this church. Watch and listen, what did I say to this church and this church and this church? Watch what I'm saying to each of these churches. And the reason is, is because every church has a personality type of some of these churches that you'll see. There's the, there's the doctrinally sound but cold church. There's the, un, there's the dead church. There's the, there's the persecuted church. There's the uh, church that tolerates sin. There's the lukewarm church. There's the church of the open door. And there's and like, well, you know, our church could be one of those or be in a phase of one of those. We need these. This is a relevant book because of the, and there's a blessing in it because of reading that. We need that. All right? So there's a blessing because it's relevant to the church age, a blessing because it, it reveals where we're headed. I mentioned that before. You're, we're blessed in reading this because it's like we know, we, we get to see where we're headed here. Another reason it's a blessing that's relevant because it reveals the church age, because it reveals where we're headed. But also, I love this. You're blessed in reading this book because it constantly displays the sovereignty of God even in a chaotic world. Constantly displays the sovereignty. You read through this, it's a, it gets to be messy, some of the things in here. But you see, God's in control. The whole world's turning the, you know, there's, there's hail coming out of the sky and fire smitten, smiting people and, and um, uh, the sea turns to blood and, and uh, people are fighting and, and there's a bark of the beast and wah! God's in control. Isn't that amazing? Like, I, I, got God's, I got this all dialed in. It's all on my timetable. That's a blessing right there to read that and know God's in control. How much more now? We're not in the tribulation. How much more now? It also is a blessing because it shows the grace of God even in the worst of times. I'm blessed by reading this book because, now I firmly believe this, that the church is gone after chapter 4. And we, I won't explain all of it, but there's no mention. Once you get to chapter 4, all the way through chapter 22, there's not the word church mentions. It's only mentioned churches at the conclusion. And there's bride mentioned, and that's coming from heaven. But there's no mention of the word church, or you even see the function of New Testament church within those seven years, within those, during those, not, not one time. But you know what? God still says, you know what? He finds a way to get the gospel to the world. An angel, two witnesses that, whoa, you'd like to meet them. We'll get to them later. The 144,000, God is faithful to still preach the gospel in the worst of times in contrast to the greatest deception. There is, there is going to be such strong delusion 
that's going to take place once the rapture happens. Strong delusion. People are going to be immensely blinded by whatever, but we know maybe a host of things, but we know one thing will be the Antichrist. And God shows his, um, his faithfulness. So that's a blessing. There's a blessing in the book. Number four, there's a greeting we see. Now here he gets into a formal greeting. Look at chapter 1, verse 4. There's the formal greeting, verse 4 and 5, mostly verse 5. John, being polite here, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So let's just pause right there. Originally, we've got to understand, whenever you read the Bible, don't forget this. It'll, save you, it'll get you out, keep you out of a lot of trouble in interpreting. Don't forget, whenever you read a book in the Bible, think, wait, back up and say, wait, who is this first written to? And it's first written, it's not that it's only written to, but it's first written to seven literal churches that existed in Asia. When it says Asia here, we would identify it as Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Um, most of these churches, Paul, I believe all of these churches, Paul planted or they're a result of him planting a church. So John's greeting, okay, I'm, I'm writing this, uh, this first edition here of the book of Revelation. Went to these seven churches, and of course it multiplies. Here's his greeting, John to the seven churches. Now follow what's happening here. And somebody tell me, maybe you can give me some feedback of um, who it's from. Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come. Now who is it that is, and was, and is to come? Who could be like that at all times? Who could be is, who could be was, and who could be to come? Who can span time? I don't know. I'm, I'm contained in time. Who can exist and span time and, and live forever? God. That's God. Pretty easy there. God does. All right. Greetings from him and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. That's an interesting phrase. We don't believe there's more than one God. I believe this is a reference to sevenfold spirit. That is, there's a, and there's a, there's a passage in Isaiah 11 about the work of the Holy Spirit, and it, it describes it in a sevenfold way. I believe this is simply a description of God's Holy Spirit. And then it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Notice what Jesus Christ is described as. He's described in lavish, true terms as we go through this book. What is he called? Faithful and true witness. Who is the faithful witness in the first begotten of the dead, I should say. He is a faith. Jesus will tell the truth. Jesus speaks the truth. That's how I should be. I should be a faithful witness, by the way, and you should as well. And I'm not just saying faithful like, yeah, I give gospel text. No, no, no. We speak the truth. We need to be a faithful, trustworthy witness. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is. So the letter is a book from the Trinity. God the Father. Him, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And from His throne, the seven spirits of God. Seven unique things the Holy Spirit does. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a book from the Trinity. Reinforcing the doctrine of the Trinity that some people mock Christians for. And next it goes, we see a dedication. What a wonderful uh, words here, John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives. Notice at the end of verse 5, into verse 6, it's a dedication. Unto, unto you're directing something. I'm writing this. This is dedicated 
unto him which lo- that loved us. And here's the evidence of his love. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who is, G- who is your Savior described as? The one who just says, I love you, love you, love you. No, he's loves, his love is demonstrated by the fact that he shed blood for you. And when you believe on him, you're accounted as washed in a spiritual, legal way from your sins in his own blood. That blood was used as a means to spiritually wash you from your guilt. Think about the exertion that we do as parents to help our kids. Some of us parents sacrifice for our kids to teach them. We sacrifice for our kids to be a, you know, we think about my wife even, just being a mother. She's up every three hours. When, she, when we first had charity, um, it was incredible. She had to, this is kind of embarrassing to say, but she could not normally breastfeed. She had to pump breast milk. It was very tedious. A lot, there was a lot of things you had to do every time you did that. Cleaning it, preparing it, and can't, not canning it, but jarring it or whatever, putting it in the fridge and labeling it for a couple months straight, every four hours, nonstop, day and night. And then we were happy when, yes, Charity's doing normal breastfeeding. Yay, now we only get up, get up every three hours and we don't have a bunch of equipment. So she was happy about it. She's still doing that. And, um, you know, wakes up, does not have, she's not slept six hours straight for a couple years. I should say for a year, for a year. She had trouble sleeping even when she was pregnant. But um, she takes the sacrifice, and we, we can think of examples. I'm just singling out my wife. We can think of examples how we sacrifice for our kids. Look what Jesus did for us. Sacrifice unto blood. And then he made us. He gave us great privilege. You know, parents give, my dad gave me the privilege of working for him and give me a nice car when I turned 16 and other blessings. And some of you all give privileges and blessings to your kids. And look what Jesus does for us. He made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory forever, and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whoa, kings and priests, what's that like? I don't know, but it sounds good. And it's true. So it's dedicated to him. Then notice number six, two more points here, is the announcement. We see an announcement. Behold, got an announcement. Check this out. He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. I like it sometimes when there's clouds and there's a certain lighting in the sky because it makes it reminds me that he's coming. He cometh with clouds. Now, some every eye is going to see him. That's easy to figure out nowadays with, you know, um, with television and satellite stuff, how people all around the world could see the same instant thing happening in one place. We don't know how it'll carry out the day Jesus comes, but you know what? It's going to happen. Everybody's going to see him. Cometh with clouds. It's the announcement. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So it's announcing that all are going to see him. You know, in, in that day, during the tribulation time, there's going to be an amassing of many enemies against God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. And perhaps some will deny him. Some will know he's there, but still blaspheme him. But he's going to show up and you're going to see him. And we're going to see him. We're going to see him. Right now we live by faith, and that's what we're supposed to do. 
where faith is going to become sight. I'm going to see them. It's going to be better than any cool graphic that I've been searching for online to use that I don't always want to use. But, you know, it'd be better than anything that anybody else has tried to display of Jesus. Wow! Every eye shall see him. There's going to be a good and there's going to be a bad. All the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. There's going to be some sorrow because they've made themselves enemies of him. And then last of all, an attribute that he declares. He declares an attribute. Behold, or pardon me, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is identified with these same terms. I am Alpha and Omega. Alpha means the beginning of something. Nothing else is before Alpha. This is the Greek alphabet, okay? It's, it, kind of, it, it, it was a little bit more quickly understood in their day. But just think, there's nothing before Alpha, before A. There's nothing after Omega. It's like it encompasses the whole thing. He says, I'm the, I'm the whole plan here. What he's saying is, it's all about me. And the whole deal of, of, of this whole existence, so think about this. Think about this existence. Think about history. Think about what you think is coming. The whole deal is about him. He's got it all under control, too. The, the, all the chaos, even in the micro uh, experience that we have of, of your own life, he, you know what? He's a before. He's, out, he's got this whole deal is going where he wants it to go. He's the Alpha and Omega. This whole story is developing. Nothing random's happening. You ever heard the people say, okay, I, I've heard some of you younger guys will know, the goat. He's the goat. Tell me, somebody tell me, guys, what's the goat? Yeah, it's not. It's the greatest of all time. Okay, greatest of all time. He's the goat. He's the goat. <laughs> now, I always think it's kind of funny when we call an athlete the goat. Now, not because of the goat, but because how do you know somebody's the greatest of all time? Time hasn't done, we're not done with time yet. There could be more athletes coming that's going to make that guy look bad. You don't, we don't know who's the greatest of all time in a, in a, a sport. You know what the greatest up to this time is. But tomorrow, there could be a greater up to that time. And a greater up to that time. Nobody knows the greatest of all time, except one. He's the greatest of all time. He already spans all time. And we know all time's headed to... All time is under his control, and all time is orchestrated to go towards his glory, towards his end. He's the greatest of all time. I don't want to say goat, but he's the greatest of all time. I'm going to wind this down. This is very interesting, just a couple other things. This is interesting. The book of Revelation, it has, it's a full of contrast. We see God, the, the true trinity. You see a satanic trinity. You see uh, worship to God in heaven, and you see worship to the Antichrist and the devil. You see, a, you see a beautiful woman called the bride who's the church. And then you see another woman who's filthy called a harlot. You see paradise and you see hell. You see a harvest of souls won. You see a harvest of grapes punished, re re referring to the enemies of God. You see a throne in heaven and God sitting there. You see a throne of Satan in his seat. You see, the syn you see uh, churches of God and you see synagogues of Satan. This is in the book. These are contrasts in the book. You see men blaspheming God and men praising God. You see somebody coming on a white horse conquering his Antichrist. You see somebody else coming on a white horse later on 
conquering and ruling in righteousness, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. You see a first resurrection, that's us. You see a second resurrection, that's unto damnation. You see, um, you see, this is interesting. You see kings giving their power and their uh, they giving their power over to the beast so they can have some kind of privilege with him. And then you see people in heaven throwing their crowns to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see at the beginning of the Bible, a paradise lost, and you see at the end of the Bible, paradise won. You see man's city here. There's a city of man in the book of Revelation. You see the city of God. You see the in Revelation we see the beginning of sin. In, 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 pardon me. In uh, Genesis, the beginning of sin. In Revelation, the end of sin. In Genesis, the beginning of death. In Revelation, the end of death. In Genesis, the beginning of sorrow. In Revelation, the end of sorrow. It's the capstone of the Bible. That's what's in there. I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. You find it yourself. He wants us to know this. Consider this book. So that so that I was telling you about that, that uh, those seminary guys playing basketball. And uh, they go to the janitor, see him reading Revelation. You know, these seminary guys are kind of smarty pants. Yeah, hey, you understand what you're reading? He says, Yeah, I understand. He says, Well, what are you reading? He says, Revelation. He goes, You understand? He goes, Yeah, I understand Revelation. What does it mean? He goes, it means Jesus is going to win. That's it. <laughs> I mean, we can understand that tonight. Jesus is going to win. This is not, this is, look in. I want to say this. We are used to being entertained by a lot of fantasy and a lot of fiction, and there's probably, maybe there's a place for that. We might have too much time in it. This is not fantasy. This is not fiction right here that we're going to get see. And that you could read tomorrow. It's not. It is real. It is true. It's no joke. He wins, and so do we if we're on his side. That is a blessing. That is a blessing. Let's give him thanks tonight.